This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today the great feast of the Assumption of Mary falls on a Sunday, so we have the privilege of really reflecting more deeply on this, uh, this important feast. The first reading is, um, is taken from the book of Revelation. It's a very extraordinary vision. I, I know we've, we've heard it many times, but it behooves us to dwell on it, uh, I think, with some care. We're taken right into the heavenly court. We're taken, as it were, into the realm of God. We see the celestial temple opened, and within it we can spy the Ark of the Covenant. Now, all this can be fairly uh, alien to us, even though we have the uh, Indiana Jones movies reintroduced us to the Ark of the Covenant. But if you're a first century Jew reading this text, all this would have extraordinarily powerful overtones. Because the Ark, as you know, was the box that contained the remnants of the Ten Commandments. It was the raison d'etre for the temple. It's why, why the temple existed to house the Ark of the Covenant. It was the object found within the Holy of Holies, in the very heart of the temple. It bore the divine presence to Israel. That's not too strong a term to use. Before the Temple of Solomon was built, the Ark was carried into battle by the Israelite armies when they went out against their enemies because it symbolized, but even, even more than that, it more than symbolized, it bore God's presence and power. When Israel lost the ark, as it did on a couple of occasions, it lost its way. When it was definitively lost during the Babylonian invasion, it broke Israel's heart. That's what the movie, by the way, is about, is the lost ark, and, and people speculate where it might be. But Israel, in some ways, still longs for the Ark of the Covenant. But now, in the vision of the book of Revelation, the ark is back in its proper place. It's now in the heavenly temple. But here's the difference. It's associated with a woman who's about to give birth. Now here's what the book of Revelation says. A great sign appeared in the sky. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet. On her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. That image is associated with the image of the ark. Now, how come? Because the early church saw Mary, the mother of Jesus, as the new and definitive ark. Why? Because she carried within her, in the most vivid way, not just the remnants of the Ten Commandments, she carried within her the very personal presence of God. That's why, for example, in the Gothic churches, you'll often see an association between Mary and the Ark. I think of Notre Dame in Paris. It's over the left portal as you go in. Those uh, images are associated with each other. Notice something too. 
The new ark, Mary, is like the old ark associated with battle. What do I mean? Well, as she's about to give birth, the woman is confronted by a dragon. Listen. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. On its head were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth to devour her child. Now, here's my point. This is not a sentimental image at all. This is a pretty hard-edged uh, uh, image. Here's the woman associated with the ark. She's the bearer of the divine presence. But, but from the moment she's about to give birth, she's confronted by a terrible enemy. What's the dragon stand for? Well, perhaps Rome. People say the seven heads are evocative of the seven hills of Rome. At the time this book was written, Rome was the great earthly power. I think it stands for really Rome and all of Rome's antecedents, all of Rome's descendants. It stands for all these forms of worldly power, which are predicated upon violence and oppression. Because isn't that often the way it works? The powers of the world from ancient times to the present day rely upon oppression and the threat of violence. But now here's the message of the book of Revelation. This fearsome dragon, imagine it for a second with the seven heads and the horns and the crowns and so on. This fierce beast. Imagine now if you're the, you're the father of a child and your, and your wife's about to give birth and outside the hospital room is this terrible beast. I mean, that's the image we're meant to have. But this dragon is powerless against the woman and her child. We hear she gave birth to a son, a male child destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God in his throne. This little baby and his mother are more powerful than the most powerful of all the world's armies, all of its political might. What's the point? The Ark of the Covenant. Mary is the true Ark, the new Ark. The Ark of the Covenant is still effective in battle as it was in ancient Israel. The Ark of the Covenant is still brought out when Israel does battle with its enemies. Okay? With all that in mind, all those associations, those powerful images and associations in mind, turn to the gospel. Which takes us not to the heavenly court and the cosmic struggle, but takes us rather to a little town in the hill country of Judah. That means the area around Jerusalem in the south. Where a woman is greeting her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What is Elizabeth acknowledging? That the Ark of the Covenant has come into her house and has blessed it. Something I mentioned before, that lovely detail of, of the, the infant John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb. He's like David, who in the Old Testament 
leapt and danced in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant as it was brought into Jerusalem. David the warrior now was bringing that Ark into his holy city, but he danced before it. So here's John the Baptist, a new David figure, dancing before the Ark. Now listen to how Mary herself confirms this interpretation through very martial language. Again, there's nothing sentimental about this scene either. Mary says, He has shown, he, God, no, has shown the strength of his arm. He scattered the proud in their conceit. He's cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. See, what does Mary know? She knows that this child whom she's bearing will confront the powers of the world. He'll confront those who set themselves up in pride. Those who dare to sit on high thrones and lord it over the humble. She knows he will lift up the lowly. She knows that he will feed those who have been exploited. Whether it's the power of Rome or the power of fallen Israel or any power of the world, this child will defeat them. You see what she's announcing by this wonderful Magnificat. My soul doth magnify the Lord. That's how the speech begins. Magnificat in Latin. Mary is announcing herself as the ark that the true Israel will successfully carry into battle. What she speaks here are quite literally fighting words. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does all this have to do with our feast day? The feast of the Assumption of the Virgin. We'll go back to the first reading now and you'll see. The Assumption is Mary's translation into the realm of God. Her elevation, body and soul into heaven where she now reigns. Again, don't think of this in Platonic, in the Platonic manner. We're often misled that way. We're, you know, the escape of the soul from the body. That's what Plato thought was the whole point of life. But not biblical people. Biblical people want the resurrection of the body. We look for the restoration of the whole self in this higher realm that we call heaven. The assumption is Mary's translation into this realm where she now reigns, listen, as a queen. Now again, don't sentimentalize that. We say Mary's the queen of heaven. We mean she's now in this higher realm of existence where she can exercise infinitely greater power than she exercised while she walked the hills of Judea. Mary was indeed this, this figure, first century Jew, someone who lived in our world in space and time. But now, through the assumption, she's the Ark of the Covenant in the heavenly temple. And this makes her a very powerful warrior indeed. Now, I don't want to belabor this because I've said it a million times other, in other sermons, but the power exercised by Christ, by Mary, by the saints, by the church is not worldly power. 
We're not taking on the worldly powers on their own terms, fighting fire with fire. No, we overwhelm them with the power of the Spirit. And see, Mary is the queen of this heavenly realm. You know, isn't it fascinating that in her authentic apparitions, think of Mary's apparitions at Lourdes or Guadalupe or Fatima, Mary's anything but a cloying and sentimental figure. Rather, she consistently presents herself as a warrior. She customarily announces a new stage in the great struggle. And again, I, we need another whole series of sermons to, uh, to deal with this adequately. But think of Mary's appearances at Fatima, the beginning of the 20th century, when she announced this great war, which would indeed preoccupy the people of the 20th century, the war against uh, Russian communism. She announces their sort of new stage in the battle. She announces her new engagement in that struggle. And Mary's always giving us, by the way, the weapons to fight, namely fasting, prayer, penitence, the rosary. <laughs> now, you know, in the eyes of the world, what does all this mean? Say that to a worldly power. I'm going I'm to battle you with fasting. I'm going to battle you with prayer, repentance, the rosary. Well... Tell the successors of Lenin and Stalin. Those are precisely the weapons that did bring them down. And that's why the Feast of the Assumption, especially in light of our readings for today, is a celebration of Mary's translation to heaven. And it's also precisely for that reason, a spur to battle. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.